Good morning, everybody. You're so much more awake than the 9 o'clock service. That's funny because there's no 9 o'clock service. <laughs> okay, well, I have been given the wonderful opportunity to come here and preach, and I'm sure you all want to hear about my time in Mexico, but I'm not even going to talk about it at all. So, sorry. You can find me afterwards. We can hang out. So, uh, I believe last week, John Gardner brought us through with some speaking on generosity. Um, there's a 55-year difference between he and I. So now I'll be bringing the heat with silence and solitude. That's what I like to hear. Um, so, the big idea today is that when we practice silence and solitude, we are better able to love and be loved. And that is what happens when we listen to the Lord and by being with him and being open to his invitations to us. So we're going to start with just the biggest reason right now, right here, why maybe you should consider silence and solitude. Jesus did it all the time. So let's take a look in Mark. This is going to be Mark 1, 29 to 39, um, talking about Jesus' very busy life and then how he managed to find silence and solitude in that and how that prepared him in his ministry to go beyond that. So... As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they, exc they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So in this passage, we see it begins with Jesus being immensely busy, okay? Healing, casting out demons waiting um, just with his disciples. And what he does, even after all this, is he goes to a solitary place and he prays early in the morning. I'm a college student. I hate early mornings more than anything. And I'm not as busy as Jesus was. What can we learn from that? So another little passage here is Mark 6, 30, 32. Um, and this is Jesus inviting his disciples into that solitude with him. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus was busy. In his first passage, he begins by teaching in the synagogue. Okay? That's morning. Then, casts out a demon. Big public event right there. Then, immediately goes to Simon's house where he heals a mother-in-law. And she waits on him all day. And the entire town gathers around to be healed after that. So I did a little research, okay, about the size of biblical towns. Um, so the academic journal, the Bible translator, finds that most towns in Jesus' day were between maybe 1,000 people to 3,000 people. Wikipedia says that Capernaum had about 1,500 people in Jesus' time. So how many of you have ever been to a hospital? No one ever. Wow. You guys are immaculately healthy. That's incredible. Okay, now imagine a time when hospitals aren't so much of a big thing, and when you get injured, you don't have the best way to really deal with that. There's a lot of injuries, a lot of chronic illnesses all the time. 
This is a town of maybe 1,500 people, and the entire town shows up to get healed. That's a lot of healing to do. And now, I don't have the gift of healing myself, not that I know of. I'm guessing it's a little tiring to heal 1,500 or so people. So all this, and after that day, Jesus gets up early and goes to a quiet place. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like to be busy, whether it's modern day, whether it's olden times. Nothing's changed. And Jesus understands that, and he models for us what it means to find rest and to find a place with God, even in the midst of it all. So one of the big problems with finding silence and solitude today is that we get in our own way. Exodus 14.14 says that the Lord will fight for you you need only be still. How hard is that? At college, I was pulling 12 to 14 hour days. I have no idea how to be still. Maybe I'm not even the most qualified to be preaching on this. And the problem is that we always want to add to what we're given. We don't just want to be still. And I think that's one of the ridiculous things about Christianity is it's not offensive because it's exclusive, but it's so simple. Just be. The Lord will fight for you. So I took an example here from Galatians. This is in the early church. When Jesus had died, he had risen, he had offered new life to all these people. And this church in Galatia is just not getting it. They're trying to add on to what's already been done. So Paul writes to them, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. I know what you're thinking. We're five minutes in. He already mentioned circumcision. It is bound to happen. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. So this is an example of the early church. They just want to add. I have one more example here. This is, this is a pretty famous one from the Old Testament. When Saul disobeys God. King Saul. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. We always need to do more. Saul was already king. All he had to do was follow what God said, but he wanted to do more. Does God ask for obedience or sacrifice? Obedience. Be still and he will fight for you. And so what's really interesting is that our modern-day culture, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a little busy, okay? So I know you guys love research, so I've got some stats for you, okay? Number one, the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics found that Americans between 25 and 54 work an average of 40.5 hours a week. 28% of those employees also work on the weekends. Psychology.com found that only 45% of Americans actually use their full vacation time. On top of that, Ladders, which is a high-income job-finding resource, found that 24% of Americans hadn't even used any of their vacation time from 2018 to 2019. 
We can't take a break. Okay, so that's work, but what about daily life? H&R Block found that the average American is putting up 14 items on their to-do lists. Six in 10 Americans are putting up essential basic administrative tasks. What does that mean? Such as scheduling medical checkups, paying bills, or just taking care of your home. On top of that, they found that the average American has 26 minutes of free time a week. Think about yourselves. You probably think you have more than 26 minutes, right? But what do you fill your time with? And is just scrolling on your social media, does that count as free time? Or are you filling it mindlessly with something? We always need to find something to fill it with. For me, sometimes it's TV. Is that, is that a good use of free time? Is it rest? Am I resting when I'm doing something? Or am I just trying to fill my life with something so that I can keep up with everyone else? Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you guys ever been to the ocean after a storm? When a storm comes in, the water changes, and the waves are no longer crystalline and blue, but they're murky and muddy and full of silt. And if you watch these waves for long enough, you see that eventually they begin to clear over time. In our busyness, we are waves after a storm. We cannot see what is going on in our own lives with ourselves or what God is trying to say to us. Only by being still and the waves seizing does the water begin to clear. So what have we covered so far? Jesus was busy. He gets it. We're busy. We get it. So now I want to talk about one of the reasons why silence and solitude is so important to us. And I want to propose that silence and solitude allows us to better love ourselves, which in turn allows us to better love our neighbors. I mean, Jesus' mandate to us is to love our neighbor as ourself. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God loves us. And God so loved the world, John 3.16, come on guys. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Great job, guys. That was really impressive. Well done. So, love comes from God. God is love. So, what if in order to love, we must know God? God isn't some distant God who gives his commands or tells us to love from afar. He loves you more than you can ever love anyone else. Think of any kind of love. Friendship, romance, a parent-child relationship. God loves you in each of these ways, but more than you can even imagine. And the best way to get to know someone is by spending time with them. The best way to be loved by someone is by spending time with them. If no one can love you more than God, then maybe we should consider just spending time with him. No agenda. This isn't necessarily me scrolling through my Bible app trying to get in my scripture reading. How am I spending time with God being with him? I go to college. I learn so that then I can teach. If I spend time alone with God and am being loved by him, then I'm able to love. Um, so, quick summary of that. We love by being loved, and God loves us. And so now I want to turn to the idea of being with God and how that is how he loves us. The entire story of the Bible 
is of God wanting to be with us again. So I'm going to walk through real quick the whole story of the Bible, okay? Grab your seats. In the beginning, we were with God, Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were with him, but we were separated. Isaiah 59.2. Um, oh no, I copy-pasted the same verse twice. So I really want to read you Isaiah 59.2, but I can't. What have I done? Does anyone have it? I need Isaiah 59.2. Go, go. First one of you that gets it gets a candy bar. From Heather. Thank you, Clark. That's a big problem, guys, getting cut off from God. And so what does God do about this? He makes his home among a specifically chosen people, the Israelites. Number 34, 34. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell. Sorry, 35, 34. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. So that was a great start. God got to be with some of his people, humanity. And he chose a specific nationality to be among. But he wasn't satisfied with just being with part of the people that he created. Then God came to live with us as one of us. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus, for those of you paying attention. And so God goes through each of these steps. We were with him. We were separated from him. He's with some of us. He comes to be with humanity itself. And now God takes it a step further. Instead of just coming to us, he's given us the invitation to be with him. John 14, 2. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? The whole story, all of history, is God wanting to be with us again. Does it make sense? No. I don't want to be with me a lot of the time. Imagine you guys understand that. We're not the best. We're really not. And yet God loves us so much in every imaginable way. He's willing to move heaven and earth to die on a cross to make a place for us to be with him. So if he's done all this and we can be with him whenever we want, if God really has come to live in us and among us, then what's a little silence and solitude? What's a little time with God? And that can look a lot, like a lot of different ways. I'm not going to prescribe. Go sit in a dark room by yourself and just be. That's one way. That's a great way. But what about time in Scripture? Man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is one way we hear from God that we are with him. This can mean a time alone with no agenda. Take a walk. Find a special quiet place in the home. And so I want to give us a little action step, okay? Can everybody say action step? Yeah, you are so awake. You're so much better than the 9 o'clock. All right. Start each day with 10 minutes of silence and solitude. Shower first. Wake up first. But take 10 minutes. I started doing it because I figured I should probably practice what I preach. <laughs> and I can tell you, somehow, some way, the Bible's right about this. Who to thunk? Am I right? But when we just take time to be... I don't have my phone. I'm not worrying about, oh, man, I really need to get breakfast right now. I'm just there. It's been really nice lately because it's so nice. I can go sit on a hammock and just kind of space out. 
It's wonderful. And this is time that God is speaking to us, okay, when we're alone with him. So I want to tell a little story about when I was, um, I went to a Bible school about a year ago, and they had some instructors come in, and they had us draw a big old pie chart, okay? They said, okay, now make little slivers for every time that you're talking with God in your day. And so I'm like, oh, well, I get up and I, I pray, thank you, Lord, for this new day. Give me strength. And then before a meal, Lord, thank you for this food that I get to eat. And before bed, God, thank you for this day that you got me through it. Just tiny little slivers on that pie chart. So the instructors are standing up there, and they say, great job, guys. You spend, you spend some good regular amounts of time talking to God. Okay, now look at the rest of the pie chart. That's when God is talking to you. God's everywhere, all the time. He loves you a lot. And so he's always trying to tell you, I'm proud of you. I love you. I am here giving us direction and guidance because I don't know what to do so much of the time. Maybe you can relate. And so he's talking to us in all those big sections of the pie chart. And when I take time to just be alone, there is no better time in the world for me to be listening to what God is trying to say to me, whether he's speaking through, through thoughts, through his word, through creation. That is such beautiful time to listen to what he is saying to you. We live in a world that says we need to do something in order to be something. We serve a God who says, come and be. I don't need to achieve. I don't need to perform. I don't need to get another sticker or another milestone. I just need to be with him. And that's enough for him to speak to me and tell me whatever is on his mind. Whatever's on his mind is pretty great, I'll tell you that, okay? Not biased. So um, we're going to take a really uncomfortable moment out here um, to practice silence and solitude. It it may be uncomfortable because we're in a big old crowd of people, and we're going to look around like, are they being quiet enough? But also because it's it's just everything that we, we are inundated with from culture is just do, be, say, work, create, produce. So I'm going to take a couple uncomfortable minutes to just be. You don't have to strain to listen to God. You can close your eyes. You can open them. You can look around. Just put the phone down. Put your eyelids down. And just be for a minute. Maybe maybe you'll hear something from God. Maybe you'll just take a moment to be with him. Pray if you'd like. Just be.
Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to remind us of Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. A pattern of endless, empty achievement, of days filled to the brim with the urgent, not the important. A pattern of performance evaluation bars you can't meet, of jealousy and worthlessness, of productivity overshadowing empathy, of striving in order to be accepted, of doing just one more thing in hopes of being enough. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And lastly, coming back to Mark 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We cannot love others without first being loved and by being with the one who loves us. If our command is to love others as ourself, we cannot do that without being loved. And how do we receive love from God as we be with him and we listen to him? Because all he's ever done is told you how much he loves you, just as you are in your imperfections, in your inability to listen, in your inability to be there with him. I am no different, and yet he loves me no less. So let yourself be loved by God by being with him and listening to him and not letting all the swirling thoughts in your head and all the patterns of the world and everything that you need to get done and all that you need to achieve in order to be doing right, nothing, none of that can get in the way of what God is saying to you and how he is there for you. He wants to be with you. And so Jesus offers this invitation to each of us. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. I'm going to invite the band on up. So what's today's action step, guys? Do we remember? Ten. I heard somebody say it. Ten minutes of silence and solitude. Try it for a week. See what happens. Um, and at this time, we'll have the tithes, tithes and offering come on through. So if everybody wants to stand up. Thank you so much.